Welcome to SimCast, the higher education simulation podcast. My name's Lawrence Hill, and I'm the chair of the simulation group in the School of Health Sciences at UEA Norwich. Hello, everyone. My name's Tony Jeremy. I'm the academic lead for simulation-based education here at UEA Norwich. A very warm welcome back to the podcast to everyone and to this special edition of our SimCast. Today, we're going to be delivering you part four or special episode part four of our online component of our simulation instructors course. These videos are designed to equip learners with all of the information they need to come and get the most out of our one day in-person simulation instructors course. Today's episode is called Planning Simulation. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a like. Equally so, if you didn't like it, give us a dislike, but let us know in the comments why, because we're always keen to improve. To keep up to date with all things simulated, hit the subscribe button and don't forget to check that not notification bell. Don't forget to check that notification bell. And if you have checked that notification bell, a big thanks already and hope you're enjoying listening along. So today's episode, Sim Episode 4, yes. um, looking at planning simulation, we've got a couple of intended learning outcomes for this, haven't we? Yeah, so let's just go through, through those now. Yeah, so the, the intended learning outcomes for uh, this, this session today are to define the different components of the site model, to use the site model as a tool for planning simulation, and probably to conclude that planning simulation is in fact a multifaceted process site model. So what do we mean by the site model and why do we use it to plan simulation? Yeah, so we've mentioned it a few times mm -hmm. in the in the learning outcomes, so I guess we need to explain Probably what it should, is. Yeah. So the site model is an adaptation of Edwards' shell model, which has its origins in aviation mm -hmm. and human factors. And what the model does is it puts an individual at the centre of a complex system and it, it basically says you have to interact with these different areas to be able to do your job on a day-to-day -day basis mm. properly. And we think this is perfect for the simulation educator who is planning simulation. Yep. So there's lots of different things that you need to consider. How can you use a complex systems model to try and plan all those things out and to try and not forget anything yeah, along the way. Exactly. The problem with the shell model is the terminology is a little bit clunky. Yeah, so it's very just... aviation focused, isn't it? Yeah. And and I think we you know we can learn a lot from aviation. Aviation's got a brilliant history of 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 getting humans to work really effectively in complex socio technical systems. So we can borrow the learning from that, yeah. but adapt it to a, yeah, our context. So we've just changed the terminology basically yeah. a little bit. So it's a little bit more user-friendly and easier to understand. And again, we think the sections fit quite nicely in terms of how we're planning simulation. Yeah. So site stands for surroundings. The S is for surroundings. The I is for information. The T is for team. And the E is for equipment. And we're going to go through each of those now and consider how we might need to think about those things when we're planning simulation. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. So when you mention surroundings as part of the site model uh, in the context of planning simulation, what do we really mean by that? Well, we mean the physical environment in mm. which you're going to deliver that simulation event. Yeah. So you need to think about the type of room that you need. Does it, is it, need, does it need to be like a high fidelity room? Does it need to look and feel like a simulation, uh, uh, the, the, the environment you're trying to recreate? Yeah. Obviously, you could even do in-situ simulation. Or does it just need to be a room where you can 
run some kind of scenario. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And 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 it's almost uncomfortable, isn't it, us putting surroundings first on this list? Because normally we'd be a really strong advocate for saying everything must lead from the learning outcomes. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, it's 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 chicken and egg, really, isn't it? In the real it? world, because. Yeah. Whilst you have to do your learning outcomes first, you also have to get your rooms booked. Yeah, this is pragmatics in action, isn't it? However, you can't book the right room unless you know what your learning outcomes yeah. are. So it is, yeah, it's, it's which one comes first from a kind of a ideological point of view, but also from a, a practicality point of view. Yeah, definitely. So, so timetabling and getting those spaces in order in advance, months, and sometimes even maybe a year or so in advance is really important part of this. So essentially when we talk about surroundings, the simplest way is we're talking about the space in which you're going to deliver your sim. Yeah. And and of course that varies, doesn't it? Because if you are delivering a small scale simulation to single digit numbers of learners, mm-hmm. you might only need one room. If you've got a large cohort, like we have for many of our programs, you're perhaps going to be delivering things over multiple rooms simultaneously. Or you might be thinking, okay, I might need a simulation space and a debrief space. Yeah. So you might be thinking I need to stream this simulation activity happening to a different part of the of the building, and therefore I'm going to need those specific mm. spaces in order to be able to achieve that. So it, I guess it depends on what you have available to you, but it also depends on cohort size. It also depends on yeah what you're trying to achieve from your learning outcomes. Mm. But if you don't have a room... You can't do your sim. It's not going to work. And and that also kind of has uh, implications for everyone else who's also in this simulation centre or simulation ecosystem because actually kind of being organised and getting the right rooms that you need ahead of time and not, and not you know, kind of overdoing it is part of being a good simulation citizen, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have problems when we have multiple programmes lobbying for the same space. Mm-hmm. And just to give you a... a a kind of a, an idea of how complex the system is that we're dealing with. And this is, again, why complex system model works really nicely. We've got 12 or 13 different healthcare programmes, one sim centre. We start the planning for this the December before the timetables have to go live that next September. So we're, mm. we're, this is a kind of a nine-month process mm-hmm. that feeds in locally, but then goes to the wider university as well. So we imagine that this is going to be similar in, in other institutions. Yeah, of course as well. it will. Of course it will. And and also there's lots of unseen work that goes into getting the surroundings right. And this is where this sort of starts to, to sort of feed into the kind of team that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But, you know, these spaces don't magically transform into, you know, other spaces that are no. suitable for those other programs to use. There are people doing that work and ensuring that they're on board and that they can make sure that the the rooms are good for what you the purposes you want to use them for is an important part of that as well. So we've yeah. got like a surroundings slash team Interface. interaction. Particularly when we're looking at th- people like, so for example, <laughs> it's our technical team which do a lot of the setup for our roomings. They obviously need to set up and they need to break down out around the simulation event. Yeah. So when you're booking a room, you need to think about booking, book ending that, that room and availability to allow that to happen so that we get that, that kind of nice streamlined approach. Yeah. You know, again, it depends on your environment and uh, your institution, but we have situations where one room might be used for one thing on uh, on a Monday. On the Tuesday, something completely different. It has to be completely transformed. And that obviously needs setup and breakdown time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Great. Okay. So that's surroundings. What about information? What does information mean in the context of planning simulation? So information is is kind of all the behind of the scenes stuff that you need for the simulation event to work. Mm-hmm. It's it's things like well, where does your simulation fit in your curriculum design? Yep. It's uh, the, it's all of the kind of the planning that happens. Yeah, by the simulation coordinator, whoever's delivering it behind the scenes to to get it to work. It it might mean accessing standards of proficiency or, or things like that to yeah. integrate it into your learning outcomes. But a good place to start is with those learning outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Getting those learning outcomes right. And, you know, we cannot, and we've stressed them several times on, on, on multiple podcasts, the importance, the centrality of the learning outcomes to drive the learning experience. Those learning outcomes have to be derived from, mm. you know, current contemporary sources of evidence. They need to be in line with best practice guidelines. So the, that information phase is, is is really kind of closely related to the kind of meat of the of the intended learning outcomes yeah. in the in the and sim, it, and it's really going to drive the direction in which your simulation event travels. You know, do you is is, is one of your learning outcomes that they just need to perform a skill uh, for the first time? In which case, you can kind of get away with less planning mm-hmm. in, in some in some respects. Mm-hmm. Or is it you're actually really trying to tease together multiple things simultaneously and do something quite complex? Mm. I think when lots of people are planning, they think, I just need to do simulation. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the, the the nuance of what the learning outcomes are dictates hugely yeah. how the rest of the things are going to work. What are, what are What is intending to be achieved by this simulation? Yeah. You know, what specifically? And, and that, that, that is right, because otherwise you end up in that situation of simulation for simulation's sake, and that is resource intensive and not probably not that great from a, from a learner perspective as well. Yeah. Why are we here? What's, what are we doing this for? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going through this process at the minute. I'm, I'm delivering a brand new module at the minute, and I'm thinking, well, I've never done this before. Mm. So I'm edging, edging on the side of caution uh, when I'm booking some kit and equipment and when I deliver it, I'm like, actually, I didn't need half of the stuff. Yeah. So sometimes it's a little bit trial and error, but spend some time with those learning outcomes. Really mm. think about them carefully and that will really help you with, with the planning phase. Yeah, sure. And and that, that planning phase and getting that, situating those learning outcomes right within the curriculum. So planning, as you say, simulation within the context of the curriculum really helps to develop the learner experience. Yeah. Because yeah. it's got to make sense to them. Absolutely. And the, and the curriculum needs to make sense again. And again, it's this misnomer of simulation being this panacea to fix everything. And it's mm-hmm. not the case. Nope. You know, so the theory needs to come first. Then it's often sort of skills, part touch training, and then it's more involved simulation. Mm. You try and do that involved simulation right at the beginning without preloading not the learners, work. it's not going to work. No. So the curriculum designers, and that might be different people apart from the simulation educationalists, need to understand that. Mm. So it's about the faculty working together uh, through this information phase, which is kind yeah. of the next bit that we're kind of coming on to is, is thinking about the overall simulation experience. Yeah, absolutely. And and that starts, doesn't it, with um, the communication of mm-hmm. what's happening. So the clarity, I would class that communication to learners and to faculty members, and we'll come to team in a second, about what they can expect ahead of time, what pre-learning they've had that's going to inform this, um, where they need to be, what the standards of dress, if there's going to be some, any kind of standards of dress or uniform kind of expectations placed on them. And it all just helps to build that sense of learner psychological safety. Yeah, so we mentioned this, didn't we, in the previous episode about psychological safety and nothing should come as a surprise. But this that also is in the planning phase. Yeah. So, you know, if you're asking members of staff to, to be part of your simulation faculty, nothing should come as a surprise. Mm. So getting that information to them early, getting those simulation scenarios to them so they can have a look at them. It might only be the night before, but at least they're a little bit more prepared. Yeah. 
Same thing with the learners as well. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of important and necessary part of the kind of pre-simulation taking place. But then also as part of the information stage of, of planning simulation, thinking about the actual um, process of simulation-based simulation based learning itself, making sure that your plan for simulation includes adequate time for briefing, the simulation event itself, and crucially, sufficient time to debrief yeah. and unpack. And I think many of us have been guilty about shoehorning simulation in, into a a limited amount of time and then something being scrimped and saved. And unfortunately, a lot of the time it can be the debrief, mm-hmm. which is obviously what we're trying to advocate against. So making sure you've got that those, those timings, I would probably give yourself a little bit more wiggle room mm-hmm. as well. And if you're doing multiple, if you're, if you're doing, you know, full-scale simulation or simulated patients, I would always have the inclination to maybe drop the last one if it's going to compromise quality. Mm. Don't feel if you've got five simulations to deliver and you're pushed for time, you have to do that fifth one. No. So have that kind of minimum criteria and then a, like a best world situation yeah. criteria as part of your plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then kind of referring back to, have we over the course of these simulations hit our intended learning outcomes? And if so, great, let's stop it there. Hey, who doesn't want to finish, you know, half an hour early? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the hero <laughs> coming yes, through the, the hero archetype yes please please check out our previous episode for that um, I'm sure Tony can put a link here or something to that one but um, okay so the next phase the next part of the, the model is uh, of the site model is team so when we say team um, who do we mean we kind of alluded to haven't we already but when we're talking about team you know what do we mean in terms of planning simulation yeah so you need to think about your wider simulation faculty so definitely you know I would imagine the person planning this is going to be is going to cover that that simulation coordinator role, okay? Um, so it's important to remember that, that the buck stops with that individual, or it should do, really. It shouldn't be up to the individuals on the day. But you're going to think you're probably going to have a number of other staff members who are going to be simulation facilitators, simulation debriefers, whatever mm. the role they're going to play. So rarely are you going to be able to do this on your own. You're going to need some other people. So get those people booked in early. They're probably very busy. They're probably spinning multiple plates themselves. That early correspondence through email and, and again, understanding the the importance of, of, of planning that is in, yeah. is, is vital really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Especially if you're, if you want to involve experts, because <laughs> yeah. they're likely to be, like you say, they're likely to be busy people. Um, and as you say, it shouldn't be any surprises. So giving them a kind of an indication early doors, these are the intended learning outcomes. This is an outline plan. Um, you know, I also wouldn't expect everyone to have read it because yeah. that's the nature of humans is that we might not oh, do that. That's a really good point. And that's what I'm just going to ask you now. Is yeah. What's your experience? Where's the sweet spot? Because, you know, do you book in months and months of in advance? If you're getting clinicians from clinical practice, they might not even have their off duty by then. Yeah, that's true. Academics, maybe they have a little bit more wiggle room and leeway. But what in your experience, what's the sweet spot? Oh, I, I would generally go with earlier is better. Okay. Uh, I don't know if there's a specific sweet spot, but I think in terms of uh, in terms of time for booking the, the, the those the, those co-facilitators. But I certainly think that there's probably a sweet spot in terms of kind of once you've booked them, then, you know, a, a couple of weeks or a week ahead saying and this is what we're planning to cover. And do you So norm- I think it's a big difference between the getting people kind of penciled in for the mm-hmm. session and then giving them a kind of sort of more f- clearly formed idea of what is expected of them in that session. If you were running something a little bit more complex and you say, for example, either multiple streams or you needed quite a, a, a large number of faculty, would you routinely build in redundancy? 
would you have people on standby? Ideally, yes. So you, you've got to you've got to account for the fact that there might be sickness, or there yeah. might be family emergencies, or, or there might or be clinical need, or, or something clinical like need. that. And and also, what is is quite nice is 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 having that um, additional pair of hands who's ready to step in in the event that um, you know someone is ill or can't attend. But also, what that having that extra pair of hands present just means that actually, if someone is having a bit of a rough time, but they have turned up to work and they can do the morning and not the afternoon, yeah, then just allowing that degree of flex yeah. um, really yeah, yeah. helps. And you know that 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 I would strongly advocate that. I uh, I'm, I'm I'm terrible at not booking enough people, and I end up ultimately as a sim coordinator, then running a stream of simulation as well. So again, multiple, wearing multiple hats. And I, I really like it when I've got enough people and I can yeah. go, I'm just going to do the sim coordinator role. Yeah, <laughs> I've got yeah, the headspace yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah definitely. I fall and foul that will depend, of trying to... It will depend on the kind of team, the, 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 the context that you're working in and the kind of team yeah. that you've got. Because... You know, you know, you might be in a part of a an ODP team that's got like five, four, five staff members, or you might be part of a, you know, a paramedic or a nursing team that might have 10, 15, 20, 30. And you might have way more options in terms mm. of having staff available. And that's actually one of the reasons we put this Sim Instructor course together in the first place is to try and break down those traditional silos, those program silos. Yeah. Indeed. And just say, well, actually, we've got a wide simulation faculty with a basic threshold skill here, yep. skill set here. You can actually come to any of us to help you with that simulation. That's the goal. That anyway. is the goal. That's definitely the goal. And, and hopefully that we'll deliver on that. So that's, 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 I think a bit about team really, you know, ultimately humans are unpredictable. That is what makes them interesting. Uh, they like information as early as possible. So get the information out nice and early, even if it's just a kind of bookmark here, hold this open for, because we're going to be doing some simulation. We'll be coming to you with more detail, more meat on the bone, mm. simulation scenarios at a later date. Yeah. But get that early communication It's out. probably the, the most crucial aspect of, of delivering effective simulation. It's also, as you know, we were saying before the, before the pod, probably one of the trickiest to yeah. mitigate for. Yeah, hugely. Um, so the last part of the site model is equipment. Um, and equipment in the context of planning simulation um, is something that we need to talk about. So when you when you think about equipment, what, what springs to mind immediately? I mean, straight away, I think of things like simulation mannequins. I think about all of the kind of uh, equipment that's required to make the technical part of a simulation event more believable, more realistic, more interactive. And I often also think there's actually quite a lot of involved. And I all often will forget little things like an oxygen mask. Yeah. When I'm thinking, oh, I need to do something more um, complex and convoluted. So, yeah, it, it's about booking that equipment nice and early, mm -hmm. making sure that you're, you really understand what you need, making sure that you've got multiples of it if you're running multiple streams. And again, that might then limit it, what your approach is. Yeah. Uh, but again, making sure that, that, that whoever organises that equipment again, has nice, clear communication channels nice and early. Yeah, to avoid stressing the system unnecessarily. Oh, by the way, now I need 15 of these. Oh, by, yeah. by, by, by. Um, and, and you know what? You, know, you need to think about whether depackaging the equipment uh, is actually an important learning outcome for the simulation as well. Because I think a lot of the time we sort of recycle, don't we? You know, the, you know, the RFRGL yeah. airways, the, the ET yeah. tubes, the, you know, the, the various other pieces of equipment that just... And then actually, you, we, we kind of practice with all this kit just being kind of out and loose... But actually, then you come into practice and you're like, I don't, I don't know how to 
how do you, how do I open this thing in yeah. a sterile manner? Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly from my background, sterility is a huge impact. You know, we have operating theatre sets which we just fold together, shove it all together, try and pack it all together, ready for the next simulation because we might be using you know one instrument set for four or five. Mm. But actually, that packaging process is really important. Yeah. So consumables is an area that we need to think about both in terms of, again, authenticity and fidelity, but also from a logistics point of view, are they available? Yeah. Um, you know, we have a problem where we don't have access to the NHS supply chain. So mm-hmm. we have to go through other uh, equipment providers and there can be several weeks of lead-in time for that. So again, yeah. if you do things last minute, you might be in a situation where, well, we don't have the equipment. So I would advocate wherever you are, have that early communication with the technical team that you work with mm. because they will be able to give you insights to logistics that you probably haven't even thought about. Yeah, that's one of the things I've learned definitely uh, over the last couple of mm. years here and, and kind of getting this centred together is just how pivotal the simulation technician team can be and are to to that effective delivery. And it's tempting to think about simulation as being equipment-led, but really, you know, it's, it's the whole system that needs mm. to work together. And, you know, some equipment need... Um, last minute equipment need actually can have an impact on the simulation technician team, which can have an ability on their uh, to uh, impact on their ability, sorry, to change the surroundings, which might then have a problem in terms of someone else's information phase. So what we need is some kind of complex systems model to tie that all together. Exactly that. So we come up with a couple of little tools, didn't we? So, we, I mean, that's why we started using Sight yeah. to start with. That's why is we it, wanted to, to do that. And of, of course it's S-I-T-E. And I think we've slightly alluded to this already. It doesn't have to be done in that order. No. But it does, it, it helps to compartmentalise really complex workings and plannings into four distinct group areas which we think fit really nicely in terms and on of the planning and on the in-person phase of this simulation instructors course we do ask people to to undertake a relatively straightforward seemingly um skim, skills and simulation planning task and then as soon as you start to think oh there's lots of moving yeah. parts <laughs> it just it sort of brings this alive so so you know if you are interested in attending uh one of our in-person simulation instructor courses do please get in touch drop us a comment drop us an email you can find our email addresses on the university of east anglia website if you'd like to get involved, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so what we've done is we've we've adapted this site model into a workable pro forma that we can then use for some aspects of it. So we have a kind of a planning pro forma, which certainly looks at the surroundings, the room availability, and also the equipment, uh, because that's really important from a uh, academics working with technical team to get the, the planning process mm-hmm. involved. I think if we we could integrate some team into that as well. So having whoever the simulation coordinator is is really, really useful for the yeah. technical team. Who's the go-to person? Yeah. Who's the linchpin? Yeah. You know, if something hasn't been ordered, mm-hmm. the buck really shouldn't stop on that person who's volunteered to help on the day. <laughs> no, <laughs> Just talk about the, shoot the messenger. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, making sure that that simulation coordinator on there is really, mm. really important as well. So that, there's that planning aspect. But then as a simula- simulation coordinator, you've got the... The writing, the simulation. Yeah, like the simulation scenario design. And, um, you know, that really has to kind of, you know, obviously has a bearing on the rooms that are available, the surroundings and the and the equipment that's that's needed. But really this is kind of where the a lot of the kind of information, mm. you know, the guidelines, the kind of clinical competencies, the practicalities of the simulation need to be curated. And I think there's a temptation to put everything into one document 
But actually, if we're looking at the end user, my simulation educator who is delivering and facilitating simulation doesn't need to know all the planning stuff on the day. So maybe it's better to have two documents kind of in one folder, if you like. Mm -hmm. So you've got the whole plan there, but it's more user-friendly when it comes to... So it's the same thing with the technical team. They probably they don't may, need to may, know. Yeah, may not may not want the, you know all of the patient history yeah. and the, the medications they're taking and their social history and all of that kind of stuff. That's that's not necessarily relevant to, to for the their setup part anyway. Of the, of their you know, part if they're, of the if they're actively involved in it, then maybe of but, course. But yeah, the the two documents tend to work better as separate entities under one umbrella planning of simulation. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think you know good design basically helps to promote. Um, a sense of clarity for everybody involved, whether that's at the kind of simulation uh, event or the kind of simulation planning phase, you know, the kind of big picture stuff, or at the scenario, simulation scenario planning f- phase. And, and that sense of kind of calm and sort of clarity and tranquility helps to build a sense of kind of psychological safety in learners, but also reduces stress for everybody else who's mm. involved in planning simulation. So what do you think are the kind of the key takeaway messages from this then? I think using some kind of system. Yeah. We would advocate a system like Site would be great, yeah. but having some kind of system which tries to encompass all of the complex simulation planning that's involved. Yeah. And it is complex when you think about everything and breaking it down. I think the first step is just acknowledging that it is. Yeah. And and, and acknowledging that it is a complex endeavor, that actually it's complex that you know the act of doing simulation is a complex social endeavor, but so is organizing it in the first yeah. place. Um so I think that's that's a big take home. I think early comms. Yeah, early is, comms is a big one. Clear communication and transparent communication. Involve everyone if you need to. Mm. Um, and then at least as a simulation coordinator, you can say, well, I've done, done my bit even if you didn't read it. Yeah, exactly. And and account for that. Account for normal human variability. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know, normal human variability. People forget to do things. People don't read things sometimes, often, um, depending on how busy they are. So account for human variability. Guilty as charged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then we'll sentencing, sentencing will be later, but... But yeah, I think that's it. Planning early, accepting normal human kind of variability, vulnerability, and understanding that the system is complex. And that that humans in complex systems often are part of the solution and they are often part of, you know, appear to be part of the problem when the system doesn't work. And that's why Sight is really useful because aviation recognized this a long time ago that humans are central to making complex systems work. And it's important that they're not, exclusively to blame when things yeah. may not go entirely well, according to plan. that's because the real world's messy, isn't it? And not all of the edges always line up. Uh, and again, the model tries to replicate that, which is, I think it's a nice little touch. Okay, so we better return to our yeah. learning outcomes. Um, Tony, take them away. Yeah, so by the end of the session, you should be able to define the different components of the site model, to use the site model as a tool for planning simulation, and to conclude that planning simulation is a multifaceted, and I'm going to add complex process. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Simcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.